Remember, I want you to go home having that ingrained in your mind. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is my whole duty. This is the biggest, most important thing of my life here. Think about the word tonight with me, forever. Forever. We say that a lot. Like, I was in the snack shop today, and I'm like, this line is forever. Uh, you know, when you were driving here, you're like, this drive to camp, it's forever. This camp speaker, he talks forever. Uh, these are things we, we say, but we really don't mean it because there's an end to each of these things. The reality is much of our life is actually temporary. And I'm sorry to break this to you, but your life has an end to it here. That you and I will die. And as a pastor, I do many funerals. And I get to, to be there at the end of life, and we see it over and over. And so what's most important, and you don't know how many days you have. What's most important is what you do in this life and the most important decision you could ever make. I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight to make, which has an, an impact on your eternity. Because our soul does go on forever, for eternity. And that's where we read our, our, our verse tonight, our, our passage, Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11. And there's one phrase in here that I would like you to consider. Uh, Solomon explains why our hearts will never be satisfied with temporary pleasures, with the fleeting things of this world. Ecclesiastes 9, 9 through 11, Father, teach us through your word and the different passages we teach tonight. And I pray, God, that tonight these junior hires would be willing to make the most important decision of their life tonight in regards to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11, he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? Verse 10, I have seen the, the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And here it is in verse 11. He says, he has made, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. He has put eternity in your heart. What do you think he means by that? Your body, my body, will age and will die. Even the work that we do will come to an end. But he says that there is something eternal about each one of us. That God has planted eternity in your heart. Now, eternity uh, or being eternal, that's something that belongs to God. God is eternal. Right? He's never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. God is exalted above all time, and he possesses all of history in one indivisible moment. That just blows our mind. That God is elevated above all time. You know, we see the events of our lives kind of like a parade. You know, you, you put your seat and you see event after event. You see third grade and in fourth grade. And it's happening there. But God sees the whole parade all at once. All at once. He sees the end and the beginning. And sometimes we freak out in life because all you can see is what's in front of you right now. But we can trust God because he knows what's coming next. He is eternal, 
And then he says that we have eternity. He's placed it in our hearts. Which gives us this idea that we know that we will exist beyond this life. That our soul is eternal. That will live on. And if God has placed eternity in your heart, then we were made for relationship with him. Not just here on this earth or in this life, but in the life to come. Forever. And the Bible testifies this very important truth that our soul will live on forever in one of two places. Either we will live in eternity with God or we will live in eternity separated from God. And those are the two places. And so the decision in this life that you make about Jesus affects where you will spend eternity after death. Because remember, we said all of us have sinned. We are stained with sin. And God has his wrath, his anger toward all human evil. We are separated from God. And if we don't accept his offer of eternal life provided in Jesus Christ, then he will give us our desire. If we didn't want to be with God here on this earth, then he will honor that for eternity. But for those of us who would receive, who would put their faith in Jesus Christ, that he would wash our sins away. He would, make, he would justify us, which means that he would declare us good enough for God's standards. Not because of our own righteousness or the good things we do, but we would be robed or clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Remember, Jesus never sinned. And we would experience eternal life with God. And if you have never made your own decision in regards to Jesus, if you have never made your own decision to trust him, to choose to trust Jesus as your only hope for salvation, I'm going to give you that opportunity tonight. This is not a decision that your parents have made for you. You can't say, well, we go to church. My mom and dad or my grandparents have made a decision for Jesus. So that comes to me as well. It doesn't. The Bible says every one of us needs to make a decision in regards to Christ. And I'll give you that opportunity tonight. And your decision will affect where you spend eternity, either with God or apart from God, in a place that Jesus called hell, separation from him. John 3, 16 and 17. You may have heard some of these words before. But they point out the way to life. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's what you do when you give. When you love, it is to give. God so loved the world, you and me, the people of this world, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish. And that word perish is that eternal word of, of death separated by God from God forever. We should not perish if we believe in Christ, but we will have eternal life. Verse 17 goes on, for God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't walk this earth and live a sinless life to point at you, to say how bad we are. He didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him because Jesus knows that we need a savior we need someone to do for us what we could not do for ourselves we have all rebelled against God we we've brought that up and, and I saw that early in my life we've chosen to do what's right in our own eyes not what is right according to the eyes of God 
But God doesn't give up on you and me. He actually provides a way that we could be forgiven and welcomed back into fellowship with him. And, and, and this whole Bible is about his pursuit on what God has done in order to bring you back to him. And it goes back to the first pages in the Bible with Genesis. Genesis 1, when he creates Adam and Eve. He creates male and female, and he declares it good. And men and women, they were made in the image of God, that we are made to reflect God's goodness. And Adam and Eve were in perfect fellowship with God, perfect relationship. But God gave Adam and Eve a choice. Do you remember in the garden that he said, you are free to eat of all these trees, but there's one that you don't eat from. If you eat from it, you will surely die. And now Adam and Eve either get to trust God and obey him, or they could eat from that tree. They had a choice, and eventually Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and they disobeyed, and they ate from that tree. And in that moment, sin entered into their existence and into our existence, and they experienced this separation from God. They, they were naked, and they were ashamed now. And do you know what Adam and Eve did after they sinned? They tried to hide from God. It says they hid. What a, what, a, what a shame. God who loves them, God who made them, now they're trying to hide from him. And do you know the first words in Scripture recorded after Adam and Eve sinned? You know what God said first? He said, where are you? Genesis 3, 9. God says to the man and the woman, where are you? Which is an interesting question because remember, God is all-knowing. God is also uh, omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere at once. So when he says, where are you, he's not scratching his head. It's not a question of geography. He knows where they are. He's not sitting there going, where did I put those two naked people, right? I can't find where they are. He knows. So why does God say, where are you? I believe it is a statement of relationship, saying we were together. But you turned your own way. You sinned against me. You brought sin and separation. But you belong with me. And the rest of the scriptures tell about his pursuing love and what he's going to do to bring, to, to provide the way back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And even there in Genesis, we get the glimpses that there is going to be someone who is going to come. Because remember, it was the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 3, we read that he said, there will be one who will come, who will, uh, the, the, the serpent will strike this person's heel, but this person will crush the serpent's head. That this one who will come, the snake crusher, will destroy the work of the devil. And so even from Genesis 3, we see that there is going to be a rescuer. And we know that rescuer to be Jesus Christ, his very own son. And something else happened in Genesis 3. Very interesting. Remember, Adam and Eve, they, they were naked. They were ashamed. And in Genesis 3, 21, it says that God made them garments of skin. It doesn't mean that they didn't have skin before. They were just bones. But he made them. He covered them. He gave them animal skins to cover their, their, their nakedness, to cover their shame. But in order for him to make them animal skins for covering, what had to happen to an animal? It had to die. It, it, its blood had to be shed in order to cover Adam and Eve's shame. And I believe even there are just some of these echoes of that, 
eventually he will provide a lamb, a spotless, blem without blemish, his, his son Jesus, whose blood would be shed in order to cover our nakedness and shame of all humanity. That Jesus would come, and no one took Jesus' life from him. The Bible is very clear that he gave his own life of his own accord because Jesus was a part of this from eternity, that he would give his life to provide the way back so that we could be forgiven. Adam and Eve were not the only ones to turn their back on God, right? We've all done it, and we're all in that same situation. But with God, there is forgiveness of sin. And the will of God is that Jesus would bear our sins upon the cross. He would take your sins, and he would die as your substitute. We call this in theology substitutionary atonement, that he died in your place. When I was an athlete, I hated being substituted for, right? When you see that verse, and I had to go off the court and sit on the bench because I had a substitute. But in this case, we are left to die an eternal death because of our own sins. And Jesus says, I'll be your substitute. And he takes our place. And the punishment that was to be upon you and upon me for your own sin and my own sin, Jesus took it upon himself as our substitute. Man, what a great sacrifice. He gave his whole life. What great love. And well, when Jesus was killed upon the cross, he was buried. But we know on the third day, he rose again, which proved that he conquered our sin. He triumphed over death so that you and I could also experience victory over our sin. That we could be raised from death and separation from God. We could be raised to new life, but only in Christ Jesus. What great love that he would give his life for you and me. And what great cost that God paid in order to bring us back. Jesus, that's why we sing songs about Jesus. And if you're new to, to church or camp or anything, you're like, why do we sing so much about Jesus? We will never sing enough songs to praise him for his great love for us. And by giving his life upon the cross, Jesus gave you and me the most precious gift the world will ever know. The Bible calls it a gift. Look at this passage, Romans 6, 23. In Romans 6, 23, we learn that the wages of sin is death. Someone help me out. What are wages? Uh, what is a wage? Who gets a wage? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you right here. Yeah, uh, ma'am, go for it. Yes, you. A payment, right? A wage is something you earn. My son works at Big Five Sporting Goods. So when he works an eight-hour day, he gets a wage because he earned that money. And it says that our sin, your sin, you earned death, separation. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A gift is not something you earn, but it's something that is given. God saved us by his grace, not because we deserved it, but something good in him. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you guys to think about this for a moment, because what what are, how are we to respond to a gift? When someone offers you a gift, it calls for a response. And I think this is a true statement, that a gift can either be received or can be rejected. Do you agree with me? A gift, it isn't yours yet until you either receive it or reject it. 
The year was 1984. I was in fifth grade. And I liked a girl in my class, and her name was Alicia. Can I just tell you that? I liked Alicia. Now listen, I wasn't bold enough to tell her. So what do you do in fifth grade? You tell her friends. I told her friends that I liked Alicia, knowing, knowing that they're going to go tell her, because I wasn't bold enough to do it myself. Guys, when you get older, you just need to go and say it. But I told her friends, and guess what I found out? Her friends came back and told me, Alicia likes you too. No way. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. But what am I going to do next? What do you do as a fifth grader? And then it happened. Our school planned a school field trip to the skating rink. The, the roller skating rink. Have you guys ever been to the roller skating rink, right? I love those rental, those brown skates and stuff. This is before inline skates. We loved a two-hour skating session at the roller rink. And here's what I loved about it. Because I don't think you guys have this anymore. Maybe the older people remember. But every two-hour skating session, they would do a special song where they would turn down the lights they would put on some popular love song, and they called it, anybody know? Couple skate. It was time for a couple skate for five minutes where you could ask someone to couple skate with you, where you would hold their hand, your hand would get sweaty palms for five minutes as you skated around. So I knew at this field trip was my big moment. When that couple skate song came on, I was going to roll right up to Alicia and I was going to ask her to couple skate with me. And everybody knew it. And because they, I, we told everybody, so the skating event happens. During the middle of the session, the lights go down. A soft song by like Madonna, Crazy For You, comes on. And I'm like, now's my time. So I skate over to her. Well, all of our friends knew what was going to happen. So they come over too. And, and there's Alicia. And I roll up to her. And I say, Alicia, will you skate with me? Now, Alicia, in that moment, she was kind of got nervous, kind of got the giggles. People were watching her. And so I think she just was filled with emotion. And she turned her back and skated away. I know. True story. It was at Cal Skate, which is in Riverside. She skates away. So I did what any fifth grade boy should do in that situation. I asked another girl to skate with me. Guys, I, I am not going to waste a couple skate song, okay? She had just turned up. So I skate with someone else. Well, she gets upset, and she's hurt, and she's crying. And I decide that, you know what, I need to, I need to make it up because I really do like Alicia. And so I decided to get her a gift. And I go over, and, and these skating rinks, they had these little, like, like glass counters, and they would sell, like, yo-yos and, and you know, uh, flashlights and keychains. I'm like, no, 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 none of that will do for Alicia. I go down to the bottom shelf, like the high-level, high-cost gifts, the ones that were, like, for 20 bucks. And there they are. I'm scanning. I'm like, not a yo-yo, not a keychain. There they are. I saw the gift. Remember, 1984, 
These were Michael Jackson earrings. You guys know my, you, you know, you know Michael, that Michael Jackson, that Michael Jackson, you know, that one. They were like kind of like from like the, I don't know if it's a thriller cover, if that album would come out, but it was Michael Jackson. And I said, that's it. So as a fifth grader, I dropped 20 bucks on this gift. And I go and I find Alicia. And there she is. She's still kind of tear-stained, kind of upset. She's got some friends, of course, consoling her. My friends kind of follow up. And I got her this gift. And so I, I came up to her and I said, Alicia, I got this gift for you. And I extended the Michael Jackson earrings out to her. Alicia grabbed them and threw them on the ground. <laughs> Throws my gift on the ground and she skated out of my life forever. And I mean forever. So listen, wait a minute, let's go back. Let's go back. This is a gift. The gift had already been purchased. I had the receipt. I bought them for Alicia. They, they, they had her name. I offered them to her. But she had a decision. There was one more thing that had to happen. She could either receive that gift or reject that gift. And she rejected the gift. She had the right to. But listen, in rejecting the gift, she rejected the giver of the gift. And she missed out on this. That's what she, yes, yes. I think, I think she's 50 years old somewhere thinking, oh man, I made a big mistake. So back to this. Here's my question. When does a gift truly become yours? When do you get to experience its benefits, right? Is it when someone purchases the gift for you? Does it become yours? No. Is it when they write your name on the box? Does that gift become yours? No. Is it when that gift is placed under the Christmas tree for you? Or when that gift is extended towards you? Does that gift become yours at that point? No. When does it become yours? It only becomes yours when you respond and you reach out and you receive what has been purchased for you, what has been given to you in love. Only when you receive it do you then, when you, when you reach out to receive that gift, you A, you do a couple things. You acknowledge its reality, that this is a gift for you and it is real. You place faith in it. Secondly, when you receive that gift, you make it a part of your own possessions. And thirdly, you get to experience the benefits of that gift. And so we have read, and there's other places in Scripture where we read that it is the gift of God, that Jesus, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He has purchased your salvation with his own blood. He has paid for it in full. He has offered it to you. You are hearing about this good gift of Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of your sins. And if you receive Christ, you get to experience all the benefits of what he paid for you on that cross. It means you get heaven. You get eternity with God. You get peace with God. No longer enemies with him because of your evil behavior. 
You get purpose in life because now when you receive Christ, you are living according to his ways and his plans as he created you and you walk according to, to his good design. But only if you would respond. And as we read in scripture, the good news, just like tonight, we are telling you about the good news of Jesus. But now you have a response, just as people did in the scriptures. And they could either receive this good news, this free gift in faith. They could put their faith in Christ and believe in him and receive him as savior. Or they could reject him. They could leave it. They could throw it on the ground. They could just skate away. And God allows us to respond. And so my question is, for each and every one of us in here, camper, counselor, what have you, how have you responded to the free gift offered to you in Jesus Christ? Don't tell me a story about what your mom and dad or your grandparents or your best friend, but each and every one of us is called to respond to this good gift. And my prayer is that you in faith would trust Christ and receive him. And therefore, you would experience all the benefits. Here's a mistake that, that many of us live in this world. It's called universalism. And we say, well, if Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, then I'm already forgiven. And the Bible does not teach that. While I believe that the death of Christ upon the cross is sufficient to cover all the sins of the world, his death is only credited or applied to those who receive Christ, who acknowledge him in faith and ask Christ to forgive them of their sins and to follow him as Lord. Then we get to experience the benefits of salvation. I'll put these two verses up here. They're in the book of John. They're a couple chapters apart, but they sort of give us the two opportunities in how we respond to Jesus. John 1, 12, talking about Jesus, says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name. So if you're thinking, what does it mean to receive Jesus? It's to believe in his name. That is, we are saved by faith in him. It says that he gave the right to become children of God. Those who receive Christ are welcomed into God's family as his child. Welcomed into his family forever. Into his forever family. We read though, and, and this next verse is actually John chapter 3. It's a few chapters later. And you need to hear this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. See, it's not the good works you do. It's not how much money you pay. It's whoever puts faith. We are saved by the grace of God through faith, meaning we access this gift. We access this grace by faith, not by our works. Whoever believes in the Son, look at verse 36, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, other translations will say whoever does not receive the Son, or the NIV says whoever rejects the Son, Jesus. They shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. And this gives us a very sobering reality that every one of us, because we have sinned against God, God's wrath is directed upon us because God's wrath is always directed towards human sin and evil. And God is 
is righteous in his wrath. It is deserved. And there's nothing you can do to turn away the wrath of God. But Jesus said, I will take your sin upon himself so that God's wrath is no longer directed upon you, but is directed toward his son. And his son was killed on behalf of your sins so that God's wrath has been satisfied in Christ. Your sins haven't just been dismissed and forgotten. They've been actually paid for in full by Jesus Christ so that now we could be welcomed into God's family forever. This is what we call the good news. And so the judgment of God is real. His wrath is always directed towards our sin. And have you asked Christ to cover you, to cover your sin? We learn that in the scriptures, God is not out to destroy us. God is out to show us that we're going the wrong way and that repentance is possible. And God even is the one who provides the sacrifice that would save us eternally. So listen to this. No matter how far, no matter how hard you have rebelled or run against God, no matter how how far you've rejected his ways, no matter how much sin you've accumulated in your life, God stands ready to receive you to receive anyone who would acknowledge their sin, who would repent and turn from their sin and turn to God in faith. That God will receive any young man, any young woman who reaches out to Jesus in faith to receive him as Savior and Lord. This is the most important message. And this is what we preach. And this is the decision that is laid before you tonight. And I'll tell you, I turned and received Jesus when I was only six years old. I was told of this good news. And even as a six-year-old, I told you, in this chapel where I was at, I, I heard how much Jesus loved me and, what, and that he had died for my sins. And I remember I was sitting in a chapel with about 80 other kids in this small Christian school in Norco, California. My mom and dad were not Christians, but they sent me to a Christian school. And I'm thankful that they did because those teachers taught me the good news of Jesus. And so one day, Mrs. Burke, she told us about Jesus and how we each get to respond. And she left it up to us. And she said, if any of you want to trust Jesus as your savior, she said, I'm going to invite you to come up up front. And then she goes, I'll lead you in a prayer. And and that you could could ask Jesus for forgiveness and he would be your savior and you could follow him all of your, your, your days. And I remember when she said that, I'm thinking, this is the best news ever. And I remember thinking, there's gonna be a mad rush to the front because who would turn this good news down? Who, Jesus is so amazing. And so when she gave that opportunity, I started, I, I started to get up. But I noticed that no one else in my row was moving. None of the other kids, none of my other classmates were gonna respond to Jesus. And so I hesitated just for a split second because no one else was gonna receive Christ. And even as a six-year-old, I remember thinking this. These are as best as I can think of my thoughts. I said, screw you guys. I'm going forward. This is too good to turn down. And I left them, and I was on my own. I went up there with just a couple other kids. And Mrs. Burke led us in a prayer, something like this, that I prayed to God. I said, God, thank you for loving me. And I think she used like an ABC kind of uh, format. And I said, God, A, I admit my sin to you. I need a savior. 
B, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I do, as a six-year-old. I believe that he rose again from the dead. And so, C, God, the best way I know how I choose to receive Jesus. I choose to put my faith, my hope in Jesus Christ as my only way of salvation. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come and make your home inside of me? And would you welcome me into your family forever? That day in that chapel on Hamner Avenue in Norco, California, I was saved. I became a Christian. I became a follower of Jesus because I responded to the good news that Christ had died for my sins. Have you made that response? You can never be manipulated into it. You can never be forced into it. And let me tell you this. If you have already trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't need to do it over and over and over again. Once. It takes. Now, we continue to confess our sin all the time. But my, my greatest concern is that each of you have that opportunity on your own to respond to Jesus in faith, to receive that gift. And so I ask each one of you, is God turning your heart toward him this weekend? Is God telling you of his great love? And is it time for you to make your own response to trust Jesus as Savior? Will you close your eyes and just bow with me in prayer? And this is a, a safe place between you and God. I cannot pray this for you. But if you choose tonight, right here at camp, to receive, to reach out and receive the gift of salvation and eternal life that Jesus offers, the gift that he has offered, then you can talk to God quietly in your heart. God hears the prayer of your heart. And in your own words, if this is your prayer, you can tell him, first of all, would you admit your sin to God? In your own words. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. In your own words, would you tell God that you believe that Jesus is that savior? Would you tell Jesus that, that, you, that you acknowledge that he died for your sin in your place? And that he rose again on the third day. And in your own words, in the quietness of your heart as you're talking to God, would you tell God that you choose to receive his good gift? God, I choose to trust Jesus as my only hope for salvation. I choose to receive Jesus as my savior God, would you welcome me into your family? God, would you help me to follow Jesus all my days from this point onward? Amen. Amen. And now, I'm going to ask for a moment of boldness, just like my teacher asked me. Because we've been praying and, and 
If you tonight, you made, for your first time, you made your own decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, you are in a very safe place. But would you do something bold? Would you simply stand where you're at right now if you prayed to trust Christ tonight? If that was your prayer, welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. And you, welcome to God's family. Does anybody else have boldness to say, tonight I made my own decision that I receive Christ as Savior? Now, you guys, in a, in a show of just unity along with these three, would you all stand with them? Would you just stand with them? And can we sing our songs of praise to God together? And let's rejoice even for those who have been saved tonight. Let's sing. <laughs>